Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. If you've been reading about the Civil War for any length of time, at some point, you've taken a book off a library shelf because of its title, only to discover it's actually a collection of essays, each by a different author. Some of those essays only tangentially related to the book's title. What's with that, you may have asked yourself. But once you started reading, if you were lucky, you found the book provided multiple new ways to look at a topic that you thought you already knew well. That's the case with the collection titled Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia. We'll talk with its editor, Professor Caroline E. Janey, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex in the field at 205 Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, not the campus of East Carolina University, as usual. Sometimes schedules require working from home here in the evening, other times in the office tonight, not on campus, and not speaking for the campus, not for ECU, not for anybody else. And likewise, my guest speaks only for herself tonight, as we always do. Uh, My guest tonight comes uh, to us from the University of Virginia, which I understand was closed today, a day in mid-February 2019, because of snow, which I find uh, a a shocking admission of unpreparedness. 
uh, but we'll talk about that later. We did not have snow here on uh, campus at East Carolina University, just rain all day. Uh, so our topic was not uh, the weather, but we are all still uh, uh, speculating busily about the dean's imminent departure. Uh, he announced last week he was leaving to become president of a small university elsewhere in the state. Who will be the interim dean who will take over when he goes away this summer? Uh, will it be me as a former department chair? No, no, never. I say I'm telling everyone I'm not the least bit interested, which is my way of trying to start a groundswell that will draft me irresistibly into the position. Uh, uh, which I might turn down anyway. We'll see. But if anyone asks, no, no, it's not me. I'm, I'm you find another highly qualified, motivated individual, uh, not someone like me. In other Civil War news here on campus, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook normally. I don't, I'm not a, a Facebook addict, happy to say. Uh, but occasionally I will get a notification that uh, my name has come up somewhere and I'll check it out. Uh, today that happened, uh, I saw my name was mentioned in a group that turned out to be the Gettysburg, uh, Battle of Gettysburg Discussion Group, which is a public group. Anyone can look at it. Uh, I'm not a member. I don't read it. I'd never actually read it before. And uh, upon glancing through to see what people had to say, it was less a discussion than a, a verbal fistfight. Uh, they were discussing Alan Gelzo's book, and it's safe to say most of the people in the group don't care for it. Uh, this book is the worst. I threw mine in the dumpster. Oh, if you if you like this book, shows how ignorant you are. You suck. No, you suck. Uh, at one point, somebody in the discussion mentioned that authors of a different book on Gettysburg had been recently interviewed on Civil War talk radio. And replies came back, talk radio, well, you might as well get your information from Wikipedia, what's wrong with you? Which prompted yet another poster to calmly, patiently, and accurately explain what Civil War talk radio is, but that just provoked more abuse, and I, I backed away, uh, uh, reinforced my decision to not spend too much time on Facebook. Uh, folks on that discussion group, I will say, are still very mad at Gettysburg College, uh, for bulldozing the railroad cut there 29 years ago, and I can't say I blame them. That was a terrible, terrible thing uh, to have to do. But when one of the posters wrote that the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College, therefore, is the Antichrist, that's where I thought, yeah, I don't need that in my life. Uh, uh, there's better things to be doing. But speaking of the Antichrist, or Civil War Institute, as it is now called, uh, it's not the same one as, as 29 years ago. The people now running it, I don't think were born when, when the, the desecration of the battlefield took place, so don't know if you can hold them responsible for it. But they do hold an annual conference. Uh, the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg Conference this year will be coming up in June. I could give you the exact date here, June uh, 14 through 19. And they will have a wide range of interesting speakers, as always, uh, Featured speaker list includes Gary Gallagher, Ed Ayers, Peter Carmichael, Earl Hess, uh, Steve Barry, Aaron Sheehan-Dean. All of them have been on uh, this program at one time. Uh, Amy Taylor, who has not been on yet, but will be in uh, uh, later this season. So lots of people that you've heard if you listen to uh, the show regularly. And a chance to talk to them in person and have dinner with them and, and meet and, and really uh, get to know some of these people and they get to hear what you're interested in. 
they do a lot of tours as part of the the uh, institute week, uh, going to battlefields, not just Gettysburg, but others in the Eastern Theater. Uh, really worth worth your while to attend. And this today's notice that came out points out that there are discounts available if you're a K-12 teacher, if you're a student, uh, if you're a public historian, if you're a veteran or active duty member of the armed forces, if you're Gettysburg alumni. And uh, this year, discounts for members of partnering groups, which include, and they have a long list on the website, most Civil War roundtables and, get this, listeners to Civil War Talk Radio. So contact them, tell them you're a listener, which since you're hearing me say this, you must be, and uh, qualify for a discount for this year's Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. I'll be there, not working, just hanging out. Uh, talking to you, talking to the speakers, lining up shows for next season, and I uh, hope I can see you there. Other speaking opportunities, if you want to come and see me live, uh, match name with face, which I always like to do with, with listeners, uh, I'll be at the Petersburg Civil War Roundtable in Virginia on April 4th, 2019, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina Civil War Roundtable on May 13th, and uh, leading a tour for Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours over this hallowed ground, May 18 through 26. Hope you can come to one of those. If not, uh, stay with the show. Next week, our guest will be Elizabeth Leonard, who has a brand new book, uh, Slaves, Slaveholders, and a Kentucky Community's Struggle Toward Freedom, which includes uh participation of some of the main characters in the United States Colored Troops. It is a Civil War book, not just a pre- or post-war. Then we'll have Spring Break on March 6th. No show. I will be, uh, in real life, I'll be grading term paper drafts or exams or something, but I will, in my imagination, I'll be lying on a beach somewhere uh, enjoying Spring Break the way students do. And when we come back on March 13th, we'll have the uh, assistant Director of the Civil War Institute, Ashley Whitehead-Lusky, and a scholar in her own right, talking about her work and about the Institute's work. And we'll close out the month of March with Shauna Devine, uh, her book on uh, medicine in the Civil War called Learning from the Wounded. And finally, Jason Phillips on the 27th, his book Looming the Civil War, What Americans Expected the War to Be Like in the Decade Ahead uh, Before. So lots of things coming up. Uh, One more thing I wanted to lay out, uh, you might want to check out on March 16th, this is also at Gettysburg, at the Seminary Ridge Historical Museum. If you haven't yet been to the Seminary Ridge Museum, which opened, I think, four or five years ago, you you need to put that on your Civil War bucket list. They will be hosting a symposium called Preachers, Soldiers, War on Saturday, March 16th. Uh, Daryl Black, the director of the museum, will be speaking on the subject of religion in Lee's army. You can find out more about what the symposium will feature by going to their website, Seminary Ridge Museum, all one word, seminaryridgemuseum.org, and look for the events uh, button and find out what's going on. It's open to the public. It's free, uh, absolutely worth attending. Uh, Daryl Black has been on the show and and just a fascinating person to talk to, Uh, so highly recommend you check out that seminar. You can find out all these things by going, 
guess where? To Facebook, the place I never go. Uh, we do have uh, the Impediments of War Facebook page. I do check it out uh, occasionally. I don't look at messages. It's not a good way to contact me. Use the email if you want to get in touch, uh, the email that is recited during the show. Uh, but we do have a Facebook page, which Mark Gaffney is responsible for. He has taken it upon himself to tell us all what's happening. So check that out, and you'll you'll see uh, where we are and what we're doing. He also maintains a Facebook page, impedimentsofwar.org, where you can see who's been on the show, who's going to be on the show, and contribute to the Civil War Talk Radio Book Fund. Uh, click on the PayPal button, send us money, and it goes to me. I share, uh, share it with uh, vendors of all kinds of things. Uh, it's not tax deductible. It's just for me. Well, let's get to our guest tonight. Uh, an old friend of the show. This is, I believe, the third time uh, that uh, Professor Janie has been with us. Uh, and let us see if, if the snow has, has kept her from, uh, from getting in touch with the station. Carrie, are you there? Can you hear me okay? Uh, Yes, you're 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 loud and clear. All so, right. So, what's it like Thank up there? Well, it started off as snow, and we I'm not sure exactly how many inches we had, but it turned to an icy mixture midpoint during the day. So it's it's probably a good idea that the university decided to cancel classes. Everything in the area is closed. Schools were closed before one snowflake fell. Local, uh, mm-hmm. Public schools. So right. it was it was probably a good decision. And are the students out just slipping and sliding around and having a great time? Because that's what they I do here. No, I have no idea. We are a bit out of town, <laughs> so I am, uh-huh. I am blissfully unaware of what's going on on grounds right now. That's pro- probably just as well. So you're at the University of Virginia. Um, last time you and I talked on the show, you were still at Purdue University, I believe, uh, back that's in the Midwest. UVA is one of the centers of, of Civil War scholarship in the United States. Uh, Ed, Gary Gallagher famously uh, uh, taught there. Uh, many other well-known names in the field have done so. Uh, what's it like? Well, in some ways, it's brand new for me. I started in August as the director of the Now Center and the, the John L. Now Professor of American Civil War, which was, in fact, Gary Gallagher's position. He began the center three years ago. But in other ways, I'm very much returning home. I did my graduate work here, and I was an undergrad here. So I was gone for 12 years at Purdue, which was absolutely wonderful. But it's nice, really nice to be back home. Well, well, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do and to return to such a great place. Um, The the John L. Naw Center, it's NAU. uh, Tell us what that is. What, what, What does that institution do? So the center is fantastic. It has three different main venues that we speak to. We work with our undergraduate students. We have some wonderful internships, both internal in the center. So we're working on a couple of projects. Will Kurtz, who's our managing director, has been spearheading this. And we're looking, we found at this point 58 University of Virginia alumni who fought for the United States, who fought for the Union during the war and more than 250 African-American men who were born in Albemarle County, which is the county where UVA is located, that fought in the USCT. That doesn't mean they were living here in 1860. In fact, Mm -hmm. many of them uh, were in Missouri and Kentucky and other places, but they were natives of Albemarle County. 
So we have some digital projects that Will Kurtz and our undergraduate internship interns have been working on. That'll all be rolled out next spring, probably March of 2020. We also have a Civil War seminar for our graduate students that is incredibly productive and helpful. We workshop papers. We have invited guests. We had Bill Freeling, for example, just mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago who came and spoke with the graduate students. Kevin Levine has been to talk to our graduate students. And then we have a public face. We have conferences and speakers. Next Monday night, for example, Nina Silber from Boston mm-hmm. University will be here to speak about her new book, and that's free and open to the public next Monday night. And then on March 29th, we'll have our big signature conference. This will be the fourth year. Again, the center's relatively new. Gary Gallagher will be back. Chris Phillips will be there. Steve Cushman, uh, Tamika Nunley at Oberlin. All of these people will be uh, for a day-long conference on March 29th. Again, free and open to the public and our theme this year is theaters of war so that's very exciting so we have all of these different ways in which we engage we also have fellowships that both uh, doctoral students and other scholars in the field can apply and come and spend a week or maybe up to to three weeks doing research in the special collections here so we, we have a lot of different things a lot of different ways in which we're engaging with civil war scholars and those that have a general interest in the civil war well, it sounds like a great opportunity. Uh, listeners, there's another thing to put on your calendar, March 29th uh, at the University of Virginia Now Center. And uh, look into that. Go to the website and find out when, where, how to get there. Uh, we need to talk about uh, the book that you've edited here, but we're already at our time for our first break. So we're going to take a short Uh, step away for just a minute, come right back and talk more with our guest tonight. She is Caroline Janey. The book she's edited is called Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich talking tonight with Caroline E. Janey, author, editor, and part author of Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia. It's a collection of essays uh, that take uh, very fresh approaches to this last campaign in Virginia in the Civil War. Uh, Carrie, I can remember as an undergrad going into the university library and all, all these Civil War books are now available and you pulling one down and then it's not about uh, a sequential uh, narrative. It's a collection of essays, each one's by a different person, uh, or even pulling down one that's a festschrift, uh, the word I can still barely pronounce, uh, <laughs> where it's, it, it's just uh, a professor's students have gotten together to celebrate his or her career by writing a collection of essays that have nothing to do with each other. Uh, they're just a celebration of, of academic excellence. And I'm thinking, so how do, how do these... Uh, well, I, here's a question I know the answer to because I'm in the field, but uh, for listeners who, who wonder about this, how do these books come together? Who decides to do this? Who organizes it? Uh, how, how did you become editor? Give us the backstory. Sure. So in this particular instance, this is part of the military campaigns of the Civil War series through UNC Press that Gary Gallagher began back in 1994. The very first one in the series was the third day at Gettysburg. And notably, he didn't start with the first or second, went straight to the third day at Gettysburg. But that was the first in the series. And there were nine volumes that he edited between 1994 and 2006. Most of those collections came out of tours of trips, conferences that he did, first through Penn State, and then once he came to the University of Virginia through UVA. So they were conferences in which these scholars were together with, and I was, was part of this for several years at UVA, several hundred people, 300 people or more would come to listen to lectures, and then you would go out on the battlefield. So that might be Spotsylvania or the wilderness, spending a five-day period really concentrated looking at a particular battle. So mm-hmm. those essays or the collections of, of essays that came out of that, the ones on Spotsylvania, the 1862 Valley Campaign, the 64 Valley Campaign, they all came out of those conferences. And again, the, the last one in that series that, that Gary had edited was in 2006. And I had been part of the conference at 
Cold Harbor, and I'd been part of the conference that UVA did on the final campaign to Appomattox. And for a couple of years, I kept nudging him, asking if he was going to edit a collection. So finally, he and I decided to revive the series. And in 2015, we co-edited Cold Harbor to the Crater, which was mm-hmm. covering the end of the Overland campaign. After that, Gary decided to step aside, and I took over as the sole editor for this 11th and most recent volume. But it, too, primarily came out of that last conference that we did in May of 2009. So mm-hmm. most of the essays in this collection were by participants in that conference. There were a couple of people who were unable to contribute, and so I asked several others if they would be willing to. I, I knew that they had been working on something that was related to the Appomattox campaign, and so I mm-hmm. reached out to a couple of other people trying to fill in some of the gaps and, and make this as um, inclusive as a project in terms of, of subject matter as I possibly could. Well, it does have, it, it does show that, that, I'm not surprised to learn that it comes out of proceedings from a conference because, uh, or, and a specifically themed conference on, on specific battles, because the essays, while they do take different viewpoints, they are all about the Appomattox campaign, the end of the Petersburg campaign. Uh, they are about the, the the same period in the war. There is a, a strong thematic cohesion, which sometimes these collections don't have, uh, so the authors uh, also are a mix of, of public and academic historians, and your explanation helps make that uh, clear how that would be the case. Uh, often these books are not, they're just all professors, but, but you've got a, a range of people in this, in this collection. Absolutely, and that's always been the case with this particular series. There have always been, there, there have usually been more National Park Service people um, but Bill Bergen is a prime example of someone who is has has been a mainstay at these conferences. And for for many many years, when Gary was still at UVA, Bill Bergen would go on the tours. Gary always offered a, a battlefield tour to his undergraduate students every year. And it's just very important. I my own history with the Park Service. It's very important to me that those voices, those people that are on the front lines all the time, they certainly. Um, in many instances, know much, much more about this than many of those of us that are in a classroom on a daily basis. And that that's absolutely the case. The people on the ground know a great deal. And yet they they get, therefore, different perspectives um, than, than the academic view, so that having a mix of the two can be very fruitful. Civil War Institute certainly tries to do this. Let me ask, are these conferences continuing? Uh, or- well, as I said, the last one was in May of 2009, but one of the things mm-hmm. that I would very much like to do with the NOW Center is to revive the conferences. I would like, oh. like to start them up again. So there are still mm-hmm. two books. If the, the Eastern Theater has been almost covered in mm-hmm. the 11 volumes, but there's still no first or second Manassas. So that seems to me a, a, certainly a good place to start, that we could start with a conference and, and perhaps we could, could fill out the series as well. Well, put my name in your Rolodex if you uh, if you decide to Will do. do. One I, I would love to be part of a conference like that, uh, and to tour the grounds uh, as, as with the, the this hallowed ground uh, tour that that I've done for for a commercial organization. It's a different 
kind of thing, but uh, there's still no substitute for being on the ground, uh, seeing it yourself, talking to people who are interested and passionate about it, uh, and having the, the rangers uh, talk to our people. It's cannot be beat. Uh, well, the essays themselves in this book, I want to ask you about that. Uh, mm-hmm. They, they, if, if there's an overarching theme that I took away from this book, it's that of the contingency of April 1865. It's so easy for us looking back. Uh, we know how it ends. We know Lee is going to surrender. We know this is the last gasp of the Army of Northern Virginia. So it's very easy, almost unavoidable, to read the whole campaign uh, counting down from zero. This is this is the fourth quarter. This is the third period of the hockey game. This is the end of the match. There, the, the time's almost over. And these essays point out how they didn't know that. They they don't see it that way uh, in so right. many different ways. And that that's certainly how I look at this particular uh, couple weeks, or we can, can stretch it back and look roughly from, from January, February through mm-hmm. mid-April of 1865. That's certainly how I understand the period. But I will say that when I was putting together asking people if they were willing to write these essays, and I didn't ask anyone to write on any particular topic. I knew what people were working on and asked if they would contribute something to this volume that, mm-hmm. that might fit. But I didn't ask them to take that as their theme. That was a theme that came very naturally from all of these essays coming together. So the notion that Union victory was not inevitable, I think Jack Davis's piece does an especially nice job of reminding us that the war did not have to end with a surrender that there were other options. There could have been a peace conference. In fact, there were, uh, mm-hmm. there were peace conferences, but, but those might have ended differently. It didn't have to end on the field of battle. So the contingent nature of Union victory, the absolute uncertainty, even the wake, in the wake of that victory, is certainly a main thread. I, and I would say the, the other theme that runs through mm-hmm. several of the articles is the way in which the campaign continued to resonate for decades after, and whether that be in the memoirs of Sheridan or the celebrations of African Americans, or as Keith Bohannon points out in his uh, really wonderful essay about the loss of so many Confederate military records, that we're still feeling the reverberations from this campaign, uh, you know, 150 you, plus years later. You know, that essay, um, but. Uh, you know, everybody listening to the show, we've all read about field amputations. We've all read about Civil War medicine and how ghastly it could be and the suffering of troops. And, and you become hardened to that as a reader. Uh, but reading the, the, this essay in detail about the destruction of historical records, the, uh, uh, the company books, the brigade records, the correspondence, all being destroyed by the Confederates or by Union troops, capturing Lee's uh, wagon train. That was hard to read, I have to admit. I, it's I, quite painful as a historian it was painful. to read that. But <laughs> yeah, it explains so, so much. It explains why mm-hmm. our knowledge of these last couple of months, and even, even as much as the last year of the war for Confederate records, is so limited when you take into account how much was both deliberately and um, to, to some extent not... So deliberately destroyed during those last couple of weeks. Well, your own essay on the the parole of Lee's army was was enlightening in that regard. That 
we know how many paroles were written out because the Union Army was keeping reasonable records at this point. But as, as you demonstrate, a lot of Lee's men did not get paroled. They either had deserted on the way out to Appomattox or they decided they just didn't want any part of this. So even though we have those firm numbers from the Union side, but they may not be accurate as to the size of Lee's army at Appomattox. Right, so the numbers that I lay out, and it, it numbers are, are always difficult to confirm, mm-hmm. but the, the the best numbers that I can, can come to is that on April 2nd, Lee had approximately 60,000 men under his command, and that that's including the forces in Richmond and some of the detached units that are up in the valley as well, in northern Virginia. And if we take the number of 2,231 official paroles at Appomattox and count in the approximately 11,000 prisoners of war, the casualties that occurred between April 2nd and April 8th, the rough math leaves us with about 20,000 men who were not paroled at Appomattox for a variety of reasons, as you pointed out. Some of them foot sore, stragglers unable to keep up, others who decided very consciously to abscond whether that was because they wanted to continue fighting or some of them decided that they didn't want to partake in what they called the surrender, excuse me, what they called the funeral at Appomattox. Mm-hmm. So a variety of reasons why they weren't surrendered there on the field. But in the days and weeks that followed April 9th, Grant was incredibly magnanimous in saying that those same terms could apply to any stragglers and detached units of Lee's army so long as they turned themselves in. And as I started digging around records in the National Archives, and here I will, will give a plug to Trevor Plant at the National Archives, who is so incredibly wonderful in helping historians and has been for um, certainly my, my last book and my current book project. But in looking at the parole records for Confederates that were paroled at places other than Appomattox, I now have a database of somewhere close to 16,000 Army of Northern Virginia men who were paroled at places beyond Appomattox. And that included, you note, even the uh, even Mosby's Rangers uh, in the Shenandoah Valley who were it does. in that nether region between guerrilla and regular, uh, the, the Union you might not expect them to grant those generous terms, but but you show even they were allowed to come in and parole. Uh, right, and and you know most be big source of contention at least April 9th, April tenth. So Stanton writes to Grant or telegraphs him on mm-hmm. April tenth, the morning that that Grant is leaving Appomattox, and he says, "Who's to be included in these terms? Are are the the detached units and partisan forces that are in?" the Shenandoah Valley in Northern Virginia, are they to be included? He doesn't use Mosby by name in that particular instance, but it becomes very clear in subsequent responses that that's in fact who he's worried about, or at least most worried about. Mm-hmm. Hancock is at Winchester, and he too is worried about getting Mosby's uh, command to surrender. And originally, Grant says these don't apply, Th- these terms are not applicable to Mosby. Right. But very quickly, very, very quickly, he says, actually, you know what, we need them all to come in voluntarily to surrender themselves. And what's really Im- impressive in, in some ways, some of Mosby's men had turned themselves in before he disbands his group on April 21st, 
But on April 22nd, several hundred make, have made their way from Salem over to Winchester where they surrendered themselves. So mm-hmm. almost en masse, they surrender themselves as soon as they're disbanded by Mosby. It, it, there are so many things that, as you say, could have gone differently at that moment. Uh, you know, in Jack Davis's essay, he points out Lee and Grant have a conference on the 10th where uh, Lee is hoping for a, a ceasefire across the whole Confederacy without a surrender, but that would, because once the guns stop shooting, there's a general sense they're not going to start again. And if they stop while the Confederacy is independent, then they've won their independence somehow. Right. Uh, so many things that could have happened. Uh, he also makes a point about uh, Breckinridge and others arguing within the Confederate government, whereas Davis is saying, let's keep fighting. Uh, and, you, and you quote people in your essay who, who don't accept a parole so they can keep fighting. But then you've got Breckinridge saying, you know, we've lost. Let's go down as a government, not as banditti, not, not uh, th- that the only way to maintain the honor of the lost cause, even before it's lost, is to go down in an organized fashion uh, and win the long game, win the memory game over the next hundred years uh, by, by not resorting to, to, to banditry and guerrilla warfare. Uh, right, and I think another, an added element to this that uh, mm-hmm. I will caution your readers that I am still very much working my way through and, and thinking through this is are the, the legal implications to that, that it's not just mm-hmm. a memory game that they're worried about, but they're also quite conscious of their status as a belligerent nation mm-hmm. and international law and the ways in which things like the prize cases have already set them up in a certain way of how they will be treated. So when you see Breckenridge, who is thinking through this mm-hmm. as a Secretary of War, thinking about the implications of surrendering as individuals or going down as a belligerent nation, as a, as a state, that will have long-term legal consequences for both individuals and the collective. So memory is certainly part of it, but I think there mm-hmm. are also on the ground real struggles, real legal questions that people are considering. At least people so, like Breckenridge and, and, and John Campbell. So, there, I mean, there's so much happening at Appomattox that we tend to take for granted. Uh, we'll take another short break, come back and talk more about the book Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia, with its editor, Carrie Janey of the University of Virginia. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Attention, if you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Caroline E. Janey, author, editor of Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia, part of a long-running series of essay collections about campaigns in the Eastern Theater. Uh, Just a few more to round out the series, uh, which hopefully will come to press in the next few years. Uh, Carrie, you pointed out uh, that you reached out to some people to contribute to this. Others uh, had participated in the conference. I know, as is often the case, some of the essays are recognizable as parts of larger projects. Uh, Susanna Earle's essay on Hood's Brigade, for example, clearly uh, is part of her research for uh, her book on on uh, Hood's Texas Brigade, uh, and she will soon be on this program to talk about that. Uh, was your essay part of a, a larger project? Uh, so it didn't start out that way. I wrote this essay. <clears throat> I wanted to, to write about what happened to Lee's army after Appomattox, and I assumed this would be a an essay, and, and that would be it. But it has turned <laughs> into my current book project. And it's much bigger, and there are many, many more moving parts than I ever imagined. I thought this would be a, a simple story about the going home of Lee's army after Appomattox, but there are, it, it spreads out, it ripples out well beyond Appomattox into the, the northern, the loyal states, certainly into the deep south. So the short answer is, it is now. Ah, so so how what's the status of that project? When can we look forward to reading it? Well, I am working away. I have about seventy five percent seventy five to eighty percent drafted, and mm-hmm. i would would like to say that that it will be to press in the next year, year and a half. So fingers crossed, lots of lots of things going on. There, I'm wearing a lot of different hats these days, but this is certainly the thing that um, in in terms of Monograph. This is where my my heart and interest is right now. 
Well, well, that that's that is great. It, it's very common, uh, uh, as you know, anyone who's worked on any kind of project in the field, f- to have that trajectory where you start out thinking, well, I, I can do, I can give a talk on this, or I can write an essay on this, and you start doing it, and then you say, well, I, actually, there's quite a bit more here than I have time to say or right. room to write about, and the next thing you know, it's it's turned into a big essay, and then suddenly it's. Uh, the book proposal, and, and and there you go. And that that I think is a sign of a good project when it's that engaging that uh, that it goes from a, from a small seed to something larger. The uh, I wanted to not leave the topic of uh, this volume on Petersburg to Appomattox without touching on the uh, the essay by Elizabeth Varon about the memory of Appomattox as Emancipation Day in the African American community. That, yes. that was news to me, and uh, uh, she presents some very convincing evidence that for many uh, people in the years after the war, emancipation wasn't dated to Lincoln's proclamation or the uh, Juneteenth or any other date. It was the day Lee surrendered. Why, why did that resonate so much, do you think? Well, certainly the notion that Lee's army was propping up as she describes it, the slaveholders' rebellion was central to African-American memory and the way in which they celebrated and commemorated Appomattox. And that's absolutely the case for African-Americans that are, are anywhere in central Virginia, south side Virginia. There were WPA slave narratives that, that very much talk about this and refer to Appomattox as that day of celebration. And... I, I think it's it's telling that there was no celebratory day by the United States Army. You know, members mm-hmm. of the GAR didn't choose April 9th as the day to celebrate a victory of the war. If anything, days that that white veterans chose to commemorate, it was Memorial Day, which was a very somber day. But mm-hmm. for the African American community, and you know the, the fact that that there were several thousand UST. USCT soldiers at Appomattox is also mm-hmm. incredibly important. That it wasn't just that the white Union Army put down the slaveholders' rebellion, but that in, formerly enslaved men were part of that process of overthrowing the slaveholding nation was central to the story. And so that's certainly a piece of memory that had been forgotten, at least by the majority of, of, of white Americans by the 21st century. Um, not necessarily by African Americans. So we see those competing memories shining through there. We do, and this uh, it also made me think about uh, Aaron Sheehan Dean's new book on uh, the calculus of violence uh, that, that he and I talked about on the show just recently. He makes the point that the casualties of the war could have been much worse had there right. been a, a a bloodbath instigated by by emancipated. Uh, slaves taking vengeance for all that had been been inflicted on them for for centuries, that doesn't happen. And uh, Professor Varon makes the same point in her essay about Appomattox that the the reconciliation of of North and South, that which is what White America remembers about Lee and Grant, is is also the the, the USCT soldiers who are there project the same thing, that they share their rations with Confederate soldiers. They, they don't engage in, in vengeance and violence. They're trying to set an example of civility that will allow them to be 
uh, it's the right strategic thing for them to do. It's, right, and to be full citizens of this reunited nation. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead with that, yes. Well, just that it's it's building on several strands, I think, in the historiography right now. It also brings to mind Andy Ling's most recent book of the, the need to be... To, to be magnanimous, to be civilized, is part of the what the American nation means. If you know, we can talk about American exceptionalism. Nineteenth-century Americans certainly believed that they were special and that they were um, ordained by God to have this this special place in the world. And how better to show that than by a magnanimous, civilized surrender to a civil war, nonetheless, and African Americans are certainly part of that same dialogue, that same rhetoric, and so in some cases it should not come as a surprise, even as it does. It, it, it really is that why this volume for me was so uh, enlightening and stimulating, all these different uh, threads. There are no duds in the book, uh, uh, listeners, I will assure you that uh, that's not always the case, but uh, every essay here made me think about something and, and learn from it. Let me ask you generally where you see the field going in terms of historiography in, in the few minutes we have uh, remaining. This book explores a lot of different turns. It doesn't really address the, the so-called dark turn that, that some people are writing about, the truly negative aspects of the war. Do you see that as the future of, of what we write about? I, I think that... The future of the historiography is so wide that we can have all of those things at the same time. And I didn't consciously exclude anyone who was um, part of that so-called uh, dark turn, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, the the authors, the, the people that, that I included were, were people that I knew were working on subjects that were related to this. I think one of the other strands of historiography that is certainly gaining momentum and people are looking more closely at it is taking off from Greg Downs' um, wonderful book After Appomattox and mm-hmm. I already mentioned Andy Lang's work of thinking about how wars come to an end and that's certainly where I see my my monograph going as part of that conversation. How do we understand how wars come to an end? So I, I, I think that's the wonderful thing about being part of, of Civil War scholarship right now is there are so many different inclusive directions that we have these wonderful studies of soldiers, whether that's Pete Carmichael's mm-hmm. Colin Soldier. I know you had him on um, recently and, and right. Aaron's book on violence and Susanna's book that you mentioned on, on Hood's Brigade that we've got this wonderful mix of military, social, political and, and none of these historians is writing in just one vein, that I think that's where the scholarship has gone, that we see this true mix that people aren't just describing themselves as social historians or cultural historians or military historians, that they're um, imbibing and, and thinking through and writing through the lens of so many different types or what we formerly would have categorized as different types of history. I have to agree. I think this is one of the most exciting eras in in recent historiography. I, when books packages come in from publishers uh, for authors who might be on the show, I'm excited to open them now. Uh, they're not 
you don't know what the next one's going to be. It, it, you can't predict. Uh, it's not going to be another sort of Monday morning quarterback analysis of who who should have moved to the flank at which time. Although there's room for that. And actually, uh, Peter Carmichael's essay in your book uh, does just that for the Battle of Five Forks. <laughs> right. But the refreshing thing is he says, Lee gets to be part of this, too. We're going to criticize his generalship. Uh, the lost cause does not protect him uh, any longer. And he, he gives a new view of that. Uh, so th- there is just so much going on. One more thing I want to ask. You mentioned writing now on the end of the war. Uh, for the last you know, maybe five years longer than that, uh, the guerrilla struggle has been featured in, in historiography, uh, uh, Sutherland's book on, on the, the Savage War is certainly uh, one of the most you know, widely regarded books of the last decade. And this comes at a time when the United States is fighting a lot of uh, uh, insurrectionary, uh, uh, irregular war around the world. Now, we can't predict the future, but certainly it's in the current political discussion that the United States might withdraw all its troops from many foreign commitments, and these wars would come to an end. And you're writing about the end of a war. Now, you couldn't have been thinking of that when you started the project, but no, but, but so I, I much wasn't of what self-consciously. You're... No, but but you're right that that this has. As I began to to think about that essay, and then now what's become this book manuscript, mm-hmm. I have been thinking more broadly about how wars come to an end. I taught a class, a graduate class at Purdue two years ago, titled just that, The Ends of War. And we looked at how American conflicts from the Seven Years' War all the way up to the present come to an end, or in the case of where we are now, don't come to an end, haven't come to an end. And I'll mention one book that I think is incredibly important, and that's Mary Dudziak's book um, called Wartime which was incredibly important for me and my graduate students to think about the way in which war as a time is a social construction. And that's Hmm. reoriented the way that I've thought about what it means to end the war. When everything is a war, when you have war on terror that's never ending, or the war on drugs that's never Mm -hmm. ending, there's not a beginning and an end to such wars. And she's writing from a very much a legal perspective, but what does that mean when we think about both the past and uh, contemporary times. Well, that, that shows how relevant uh, Civil War studies are to anyone, and that would not include anyone listening to this program, but anyone else in the world who <laughs> thinks history is irrelevant or uh, not useful to our students or not useful to citizens to be aware of. Uh, the constant reflection and, and resonance of these past events and what's happening uh, contemporary happening to us now is is, uh, is is undeniable. We are unfortunately, speaking of time, uh, out of time. Uh, we're at the end of our hour. But listeners, if you want to view the end of the war from a number of fresh perspectives, uh, read Petersburg to Appomattox, The End of the War in Virginia, edited by our guest tonight, Caroline E. Janey. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jerry, for having me. This was an absolute delight. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. 
Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.